Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan and Bruce Backman here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com and on the NSN app. And Bruce, Hi. we got two debates, two debate cycles, I should say. So it's actually four debates. Lots of time we have sunk into watching the Democratic candidates for president pul- pulverize each other or more likely actually pulverize Joe Biden. Yes. And uh, I got to say, the big winner in all these, in my opinion, Donald J. Trump. I would agree with that. I would agree Donald Trump's the big winner, but I think there's big Democratic winners too. I think the biggest Democratic winner right now is Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, I think out of that second thing, I think Warren and that second round, round two, uh, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, in spite the fact that they really weren't that good. I mean, neither one of them. No, but she's very good at staying on message. Right, she's, very, but... She's, but she's, 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 She knows how to make her point no matter what the question is she answers what she wants to answer and she's very focused on her goal and she didn't get she didn't get uh attacked really in the same way that bernie did but the interesting thing was given the fact how much incoming fire biden took in debate number two in round in the second debate and it's so difficult to, when you think about it to have 20 people on two different stages it's a totally totally different dynamic i mean Bernie and Elizabeth Warren obviously had a non-aggression pact. They had like a Stalin-Hitler type of uh, thing going on that they weren't going to attack each other. They let everybody, the moderates got against them. It was kind of like two against everybody else. I actually thought the moderates made some pretty good points, but they didn't really draw any The moderates did make good points, but the Democratic Party today isn't really interested in those points. Yeah, Neither is the audience. I mean, John Delaney makes a lot of very valid points about how a lot of this stuff is fantasy land. Yeah, well, and, and... the line and who used it last night is well you're using republican talking points well no these aren't republic it's not republican talking points to say when tim ryan says that you're talking about taking all these union members and knocking them off their insurance that actually is what they're talking about i mean he said it many many times that he wants to do that problem with democrats as margaret thatch used to say is they have trouble figuring out what to do when they run out of other people's money and a lot of the stuff they're proposing, the United States government isn't anywhere near equipped to pay for. American taxpayers don't even have an idea how much this is going to cost. Yeah, Biden tried to bring that up last night, and he kept getting attacked for it. And uh, it, the attacks were were quite incredible. I mean, de Blasio, you know, over from the, from the edge there, kept attacking him. The amazing thing is, I got to point this out right off the beginning, because uh-huh. this is, I think this encapsulates Bill de Blasio altogether and why he is a considered to be a terrible mayor even if he might not be a terrible mayor no the he guy is. does he's, not he's a mayor. the guy does not take responsibility for anything he's asked a question about eric garner about pantaleo officer pantaleo why is he still on the force and bill de blasio somehow pivots and attacks joe biden who was the vice president at the time, vice president of the united states and say why didn't you do anything about this wait you were the mayor of the city of New York, you were the boss of the boss of the guy, it's, and it's, you're and, looking, and you have decided to attack the vice president because the Justice Department. I mean, it's bizarre, and somehow, Bill De Blasio can say that with a straight face. Bill De Blasio says a lot of things with a straight face that don't make any sense. But unfortunately, when you have a very weak Republican Party in the city of New York, and then you have he has the power of the purse when it comes to running for re-election, he's pretty much unbeatable. I mean, you know, everybody, you can't not vote for him if you're a Democrat, even though he's absolutely incompetent. Yeah, but... I mean, he's incompetent by his own staff. I mean, his own staff is leaking in the newspaper that he's a joke. Right, but he is basically admitting... And not just the New York Post. He's admitting 
in the in his statement in his attack of Joe Biden, he's admitting that he's totally ineffective as a mayor. He's basically saying, "Well, you know, I I didn't do it, but why didn't you do it, Joe Biden?" I mean, I don't know, a head-scratching moment to me. But yeah, that was indicative of everybody finding anything they could find in the kitchen to throw at Joe Biden. I mean, it was literally, I mean, Cory Booker pretty much attacking Joe Biden and everything. Kamala Harris, I thought, was flat. But, uh, but let Corey, me go back to Joe okay, Biden. Go, Joe go Biden, Joe, give Joe Biden a little bit of co- I'm going to give Joe Biden a little cover for yesterday. As, as bad a showing as it was, at least he showed he still has fire. And at least he shows he still has a little passion. He's definitely stale. He's definitely sloppy. But the truth of the matter is, is everybody's blaming Joe Biden's sloppiness and everything and on age. I mean, Joe Biden has been saying flubs for 40 years. He was saying stupid things when he was 36. People seem to love him for it. They love him for it. But you know why people love Joe Biden? Because Joe Biden, I mean, everybody in Washington always said Joe Biden is one of the nicest people in the Senate. You know, Al D'Amato and Joe Biden were the best of friends. I mean, I've never come across anybody who had inter- real relations or dealings with Joe Biden who didn't walk away from it, even if they disagreed with him, saying that Joe Biden is a mensch. He's a very fine person. And he's not even suited to politics. You know, when his son died, when he, when he lost his wife in the 1970s, he was thinking of leaving politics altogether. And people were saying, why are you going to step down from the Senate? He says, uh, Delaware can find another senator, but my children can't find another father. He he. That's brought, the kind of person he yeah, is. He, I don't agree with him on policy, but to question him and you know for Kamala Harris before the debate to say that he has to atone, atone for what? Well, okay. I, and I, by the way, when it comes to atoning, I'll give you someone who has to atone. Elizabeth Warren has to atone. Elizabeth Warren has yet to be called out for her greatest weakness. I'm amazed. I watch these debates. I watch the people criticizing, and she doesn't get it. Elizabeth Warren, up until the mid-1990s, was a Republican. She voted for Bush in 92. She was a Reagan supporter in the 80s, and it's never been called out. Everybody else has these litmus tests of things they did in the 70s, the 60s, and the 80s. And her litmus test is, is that she wasn't even a Democrat. And she's got a lot of explaining to do, and she's never been called out on it. And I don't understand why they're waiting on it. Either they're holding it for later, when she's down to last four or five, or the research departments are so weak and so poor that they're not even pulling up basic nexus research, nexus and, and media review to find out things she said and supported. It's almost a joke. Well, nobody really attacked her. I mean, I think maybe that's a function. You don't think that in the the Democratic Party of today, the fact that somebody in the Reagan years and the early Bush years, Bush won, was a Republican and didn't vote for Clinton in 92, that's not a notable thing? Of course it's notable. There's a lot of things. You don't think it's amazing that nobody thinks to mention it? There's a lot of things. There there were some very egregious... Uh, I mean, Joe Biden is being of, called well, out right, for things that go on at 50 years ago. In fact, he actually said it. He's saying this was decades ago. And, and, but the, the idea that Kamala Harris goes after him as if because he said things that, like working with people who were segregationists, that he himself had it been had Joe Biden gotten his way. I would never be on the stage. Barack Obama would never have been president. What? I mean, this is this bizarre. First of all, and then Christian Gillibrand goes after a guy who was a single father who literally raised his own kids without a mother goes after him and raised after, them relatively well. Yeah. And goes. It, I got to tell you, it's just like, as I said, they threw everything at this guy and, and it almost just seemed Look, I I felt for him. I don't think he was amazing in the debate, but I think he certainly held his own. But Definitely. I was I, I couldn't believe the intensity of the attacks on him. I mean, look, the next round, which is going to be in September, it's going to be a totally different situation. Presumably, there's going to be one stage. Presumably, there are most of those characters are going to be gone. 
Uh, I don't. I would hope that still remain a moderate, just so the debate could actually be a debate. Well, Biden but will certainly be there, and I, I mean, I'm Biden's not sure. Biden's politics aren't that moderate anymore. Um, but, but, well, I mean, who are the moderates then? Do you have John Delaney? I mean, unlikely. Who are the moderates? Right? John Hickenlooper in a normal year. John Hickenlooper is not gonna. I mean, no, John Hickenlooper now has had two debates. The, who, who, and both he's been lousy, and he's just he's deaf. You know what? You know what the shame in politics is, and I say this as somebody who worked in it and was did enough debate prep over the years for people who even won elections, uh, many many of whom have actually been successful, is that John Hickenlooper is a Republican saying this was a very good governor. He was an excellent governor of Colorado. I mean, I don't I may not have voted for him, but he was a good governor. And he gets on a stage and he doesn't have the right look and the style and the pizzazz. He doesn't have the right buzzwords and all the rest of the crap that you have to have today to be successful. And nobody's going to give him a fair hearing. But John Hickenluber is a talented administrator, legislator, and then also an executive. And he's sitting there arguing with guys like Cory Booker, who's one amongst the emptiest suits and the biggest charlatans in the entire Washington, in the entire Washington D.C. you know political class. There are there are, there are just so many different stories with all these candidates that we can kind of go through over and. But this there's, wild there's, card you haven't spoken about. Andrew Yank. No, my, to me the wild card last night was Tulsi Gabbard. She she had that great takedown of Kamala Harris. Not just the great takedown. on the on the death penalty. She, that was that was really good. But she's so slow. I think of this little bit of the problem. talk of the pizzazz. She's poised. She's articulate. She is poised and articulate. But she's she when you get to her, the whole thing slows down. Well, I mean, she's also talking about issues that are totally not on the media's radar. I mean, she's focused on nuclear war at the end. I mean, that's totally not a Democratic right. party issue. She's definitely focused on foreign policy as well, and she has a very strange one. She does have a very strange foreign policy. But she's it's she's still articulate and poised. I don't know that she makes the next round though. She, she had a nice she, she had a round. she had a good line talking about Hawaii and how she lives climate change and how it's an existential. She's not new to the issue, but she was basically fending off an attack. Why didn't she doesn't support the the new uh, Green Deal? I, I I mean some of these the whole place is so far there. I just bring up Andrew Yang for a second. I thought his line about his parents and his father coming here. And getting sixty-five patents, and you know, being pursuing his PhD—that—that's the missing thing here. Is everybody wants it? Oh, we're going to talk about immigration, and and somehow that wasn't good enough for a well, lot Andrew, of the Democrats there because they don't want to create Andrew this tiered. <laughs> they don't want to create this tiered. You know, when Joe Biden said that's great that we should encourage that, and immediately got attacked. What do you mean you want to make tiers of immigrants? We should we should never we should never differentiate between good skilled immigrants and no immigrants. We've always had a, every country in the world everybody has does to make tiers skill- between immigrants for of many course. many reasons. It's because of the ability for people to thrive in the country when they come. For sure, I grew, I grew up. I'm American, but I grew up in the province of Quebec, and there was a lot of criticism for their immigration policies. But one of the rules the Quebec government had, for better or for worse, and there was a lot of bad about it, was they tried to attract French-speaking immigrants. They said it's going to be easier for someone who speaks French to move to the province of Quebec and to be able to find work and to, you know, get in, you know, join join regular society. If you speak the language. If you speak the language. It's a crazy statement, but and English people used to get frustrated with it, but there's some truth to it. So a lot of Sephardic Jews used to come to Quebec. It wasn't exclusionary religiously. You know, if you were from Algeria or Morocco, you were attracted there, and they were much able to break into middle and upper classes much quicker because they didn't have the language barriers for themselves and their children. Yeah, but to say somehow that we don't want to attract skilled labor 
And that, that's the problem with our immigration system. That's the problem with both sides of the immigration system here, or the immigration debate, I should say. The system itself is... It, the debate is basically now we see with the amongst the Democrats, yeah, but, it's basically well, open 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 borders. You have to forget the candidates. Wait, 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 but let me just finish yeah. the point. Is it, on one side, you have open borders because that's where the Democrats have essentially gone. You know, Castro, I think, did a very actually good job of defending open borders. I think it's an asinine idea, but it's he he did a decent job of doing that. And then on the other side, of course, you have really the Stephen Miller thing. Let's cut down on all immigration altogether across the board, which I probably don't agree with either because that penalizes pretty much everybody uh we need immigrants in this country and we their immigrants overall have been good for this country we are all immigrants and we should acknowledge that but there's no debate there's, you know it's both sides it's the it's the craziness and we see the crazies on on each the crazy positions on each side uh open borders is is ridiculous there's no country out there that has open borders anyway your point you know, the, the, the issue the democratic party's platform right now the way it's forming up to be is built of a series of issues that genuinely despite all of the craziness quote-unquote surrounding donald trump are unworkable in a general election you cannot beat donald trump with a with a platform of open borders and mass taxation and 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 taking people's health insurance who work for businesses or in unions or teachers a lot of people who work for public sector unions and a lot of people who work even for any um, uh, for trade unions they don't get the salaries they'd like, but they have great benefits packages. It's in a choice they made many, many years ago to stay in their jobs. And at some point, someone's going to come after someone's worked 20 or 30 years with tenure in a school and said, we're pulling away your Cadillac insurance policy, which was part of the fact that you didn't, weren't compensated you know, as much as maybe you thought you should have, and we're going to replace it and put you in this pool with everybody else. A lot of people are going to be very frustrated. It's not a winning message. There are winning messages against Trump, but it, besides it, Trump's craziness on policy, Trump's policies are policies that test better amongst the American population. For sure, and it's certainly not, as was pointed out two nights ago, that John Delaney and Tim Ryan and Steve Bullock, they all pointed out, essentially, and even Amy Klobuchar to a, to a lesser degree, I think, who could have really carved out that middle ground and... I always thought reason, Klobuchar would be on the ticket as the, as the number two, but she, she's so she, unimpressive. She's, on a, she's unimpressive. She could be impressive. It would have been better to stay she, home and wait. She, she's had moments of, of being impressive, and it's a state that absolutely Democrats— It's, it's the state the Republicans they have must, to win. The Republicans have to win. She has to win. She, you know, It's adjacent to Wisconsin, a state that Democrats must win, and she just— you know, flat, but she has pointed out that these proposals of taking away— Union members, as you said, who have worked years and years and years to have that health insurance that they want, to have those gold plated benefits that they have earned, and then to take them away by throwing them not into that. Take them it away. is bad politics. It's bad politics, and it's not. It's, it's not particularly good policy either. It's not good policy either. I mean, a lot of teachers aren't earning very good salaries, and most people decided to stay in public schools versus private schools for those benefits themselves. Some of them have 20, 30 years there. You know, it's almost like the. Dem when you hate somebody enough, you're not sometimes rational to think what makes sense. This isn't Bill Clinton's Democratic Party. It's not Al Gore's. It's not even Barack Obama's anymore. I mean, it's a very, very radical Democratic Party. And the only hope for Democrats is that somebody more moderate gets the nomination and is able to unify it. Because if it ends up being somebody on the far left, the likelihood of beating Trump, in spite of all of his you know, challenges that he faces, aren't very strong. In spite of whatever the polls say, these issues do not poll well. They just don't pull well. And it could be true that it's a thematic election where there's going to be grand themes and no one's going to focus on the wonky political stuff like that crazy doctor says, Miss Williamson. But 
I don't buy it. She was a breath of fresh air, I think, on the... Uh, it's too bad we might not see her again. But this is Spin Class here with Michael Fragan and Bruce Backman. We are analyzing the Democratic debate series. I guess that's the best way to talk about it, or the playoffs, uh, or to get into the playoffs, the regular season. Uh, right now, uh, Bruce, we have seven Democrats have qualified for the next round. They are Joe Biden, Cory Booker, Pete Buttigieg, mm-hmm. who actually was, uh, we should have mentioned, was kind of unimpressive, and I thought in the first debate, just didn't really score anything, didn't really accomplish much. I mean, uh, I think over, I think overall, I think overall, he's you know he's a so, he's been solid as a candidate, but I don't know that he he really didn't do much or move the needle much. Maybe doesn't feels he doesn't need to. He's already in the next round. Uh, Kamala Harris, Beto O'Rourke, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and on the fence, but just about to get in are Julian Castro, Andrew Yang, now my favorite guy, and Amy Klobuchar. So that could, you could be looking at those as the ten. Um, there are a couple who are kind of almost maybe they might they might get there. Um, Steyer, Gabbard, Hickenlooper, and uh, you know Steyer's interesting, of course, because he just got in, started, and he's going to spend continue to spend billions of dollars. His his actually his new ad um, that he throw out, and it's not really for him; it's the need to impeach, which is basically something he did of the. Mueller hearings take some of the highlights uh, of the Mueller hearings, packages them up, and uh, kind of presents that as a impeachment uh, ready ad. But uh, let's you know that would totally change the dynamic here of getting the field down. You'd have a lot of people, obviously. You know, we'd I'm say goodbye. That, you know, they say Cory Booker had a good night, but I mean, Cory Booker. I thought he just... did have a good night. I, I, I look. I'm not a huge Cory Booker fan. Ever since, uh, you know, he 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 betrayed everybody on the Iran deal, and somehow Cory Booker seems is to feel a charlatan. Well, that's he that's uses the point. And abuses, that's what I mean. And he's a liar, and he's a fraud, and he always has been, and he never lived in Newark, and the whole damn thing is is, is garbage. And any and you know what? The media never really tell us how you feel about Cory Booker. Yeah, tell that us he doesn't live in Newark. The whole thing's a show. Come on, they couldn't even find him at the houses he lived at. They chased him around with cameras. Didn't know where he was. He was always hanging out in Manhattan. The whole thing's ridiculous. He's running around. I'm from the inner city. He's was, not from the inner city. It was a great movie, though, Street Fight. I mean, that's a great political movie. It was a great movie. But you know what? A lot of people were good. when they, Sharp James, once upon a time, was a good guy, too. Right. And then they get old, and they get tired, and they get stale, and they get crooked. Just uh, for the audience to understand, there was uh, Cory Booker cut his teeth, actually, politically, running for mayor of Newark, New Jersey. Uh, against a institution, New Jersey institution, yeah, uh, Mayor Sharp James and- ran the first time, lost, stayed in it, and then basically ran uh, Sharp James out of town the second time. Um, and he's, uh, you, he's, he's, there's, he's, there was chronicled in a movie called Street Fight. If you could find it, it somehow, used to be on watch it. It's a great political. It's an movie. amazing political film. My great issue political with Cory Booker is, is that he used to run around with a lot of Orthodox Jewish leaders and he was running around saying all the right stuff and the second he got into the senate and he didn't need them anymore he threw them on the side of the bus i think he's like almost supporting bds today uh well actually in in fairness he did give uh, he did give an interview and a speech which i watched um to a jewish group actually did a very strong defense of israel um, but that, but check his voting record. No, no, I. But that—that's what I was going to say. Is the problem is being pro-Israel is so baseline nowadays, right? Anybody can say. I mean, now we have phenomenon of people who are actually anti-Israel and vocal about it, and we can get to that in a second because uh, AOC had some choice comments this week on the radio uh, with regard to Israel. But um, 
it's it's the baseline of being pro-Israel. You, you take a couple votes, you Israel, you don't really do much. You know, that's kind of how Cory Booker has become. And he, I think what you're saying is for a lot of people, he kind of promised that he was going to be a leader. He was going to be a guy who was out front, you know, on behalf of Israel. Out, he, out front he on behalf told of the, a lot of rabbis a lot of things. He's going to be the champion. And he was going to be the champion for Jewish causes. And he was uh, hanging out in like Jewish community centers and my God, I think he was president of like a Jewish club at the Lachaim Society in Oxford. Society. Oxford. Yeah. With Rabbi Shmuley. And he used to like to dance uh, the Hora and everything. I mean, please, do me a favor. <laughs> it's enough already. And you know what? I feel bad about those rabbis who were abused, used and abused by him because they always thought that he was going to be the one that was going to bridge the gap between all the racial divisions between Jews and blacks and whites and every other group who has any kind of, you know, polarization. And all he does is exacerbate it. He talks about unity, but his his actual voting record and his subtle rhetoric has nothing to do with it. Uh, so two things, all platitudes. Two things as we close out. I think we're we're kind of. Uh, I feel exhausted by the Democrats. I know we we gave it basically about twenty minutes, and I I just can't. I I, I can't really go on can't because I believe you didn't want to talk about Elijah Cummings. Well, I was going to get to that. Okay, so two things. Obviously, once again, President. Uh, Going on the attack this week. And the other thing, obviously, is AOC's comments on the radio to the extent that they matter, calling Israel criminal, calling uh, supporting BDS, etc. And and ex- basically uh, condoning violence, condoning terrorism. That he's basically saying, well, I would riot too if I didn't have clean drinking water. And it's as if you know she has bought into the idea that Israel is, of course, responsible for all the misery of the Palestinians. Have you seen the lady which she is, hangs out with? Which is quite incredible, given the fact that this week, this week... Two of the most liberal countries in Europe, mm-hmm. Switzerland, the Netherlands, have cut their funding of uh, UNRWA, as the United States did a couple months ago. And they cut it because they realized what everybody else in the re- world realized, that UNRWA is hopelessly corrupt. And there's no reason that you want to have a keep Palestinians in refugee camps for 70 years. Uh, but... Of course, Israel is solely responsible for the misery at, of people if they don't have water, and it's got nothing to do with anybody, had nothing to do with the Palestinian leadership itself. But, you know, AOC seems to bought in hook, line, and sinker of when people call Israel criminal. It's condonable, it's, it's, it's inexcusable, and of course, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, and she's a thing. And I don't want to be called I, anti-Semitic. I, I don't want to be called anti-Semitic because, she want to be called anti-Semitic. because it's not anti-Semitic to be critical of Israel. Well, it is. I mean, anti- the only person who tells her that all the time is Rashida Talib and Ayanna Presley and uh, Ilhan Omar. So, I mean, if those are the three people you take advice from, yeah, I guess it's not. I mean, c- come on. Let, let's also come to the fact that AOC doesn't really know anything. Every time she makes comments or statements on issues of policy or politics, she's totally uninformed and she has no idea what she's talking about. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite. And re- she doesn't even get called out on it anymore. Yeah. So okay. So as our last point, Elijah Cummings. Elijah Cummings, the president. The amazing thing here about this whole story, and I'm sure everybody knows exactly what happened and the whole thing about rat-infested and vermin-infested Baltimore and a lot of Orthodox Jews living in Elijah Cummings district, and they like him a lot. I, I will point that out. But but the incredible thing is Mark Meadows comes to Elijah Cummings' defense, chairman of the Freedom Caucus. That's very nice of him. Because cause Mark, cause Elijah Cummings came to his defense. Well... I mean, please, you know, I, Washington is such a crazy place. Let's get to the real facts. Donald Trump, for we like him or not, don't like his tone. And I'm saying this and I'm going to get in trouble for it, but I don't care. The fact are is everything Donald Trump said about that district is true. It's all 
true. If you take away any form of mention of race, it's true. The district is more dangerous than it has ever before. It's poorer than it's ever been before. There's more rats and vermin than it's ever been before. And people don't give a damn about it more than they ever have before. And Elijah Cummings has represented the place for a hell of a long time. And he's got to start taking responsibility. So Donald Trump makes a good point. When everybody's attacking border people who put their lives on the line every day with drug and narcotics traffickers and, and human trafficking going on over there, and then they're calling them all these crazy things, Donald Trump's like, hey, you know what? People in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. What's going on in Elijah Cummings district? And you know what? Everything there was is quotable in the New York Times, USA Today, Washington Post, and Elijah Cummings and Bernie Sanders mouths themselves. We're going to ha- let Bruce have the last word this week here on Spin Class here on the Nakam Siegel Network. Thanks for joining us. See you next week, although we might be on summer recess for August to be determined. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs.